0: So greetings and welcome everyone who might be listening. My name is Sean Nemorin and I'd like to start off with acknowledging the traditional owners of where I'm recording this. So the Watamagog clan of the Darug Nation, whose culture and customs have nurtured and continue to nurture this land since the dream time. And I would like to pay my respects to elders, past, present and emerging. This is the first episode of the Hints for Healing podcast. It's a place for discussion around the healing from trauma for young people. As an introduction, I'm the team leader of the school liaison program at STARTS, which is the New South Wales service for the treatment and rehabilitation of torture and trauma survivors. STARTS is a specialist agency that works across the state of New South Wales, Australia, with the aim of providing psychological treatment for those impacted by war, persecution, and systemic state sponsored terrorism. As an agency, we've been around for um, around 30 years and supported people from refugee and asylum seeker backgrounds heal from the past and go on to live successful lives within Australia. As a member of the International Rehabilitation Council for Torture Victims, we are similarly committed to the global sharing of knowledge in our quest to support the rehabilitation of survivors globally using holistic, diverse, and culturally appropriate interventions towards healing. So these conversations will largely focus on the healing of young people and helping schools along that process. These, for anyone committed to that goal, psychologists, counsellors, social workers, teachers, occupational therapists, and obviously parents and clients themselves. For this first talk, um, I'm I'm going to be discussing um, the current crisis with my dear colleague and senior child and adolescent counsellor, Julianne She She's a registered psychologist who has provided therapeutic services to learners with refugee experience for almost 20 years. Um, She'll be talking about how to better support young people during the time of COVID-19 um, she'll be discussing some common presentations with practical tips during ex- during this existential crisis. I hope you will enjoy. Welcome, Julianne. Um, you know we we obviously know each other very well, um, but you know I, I thought that it would be interesting just to get your perspective um, about things at the moment and. To, to um, you know, to have a bit of a conversation in relations to what might be able to support um, both people internal to start, of course, um, clinicians and otherwise, and similarly um, some of those that we work with. So, for example, teachers, school counsellors, and other welfare staff. So, I think maybe we can start off with, you know, if you can just give you, um, if you can just give, um, you know, me a bit of a, a background in terms of who you are, um, you know, what brought you to this field and, um, yeah, um, you know, some some personal information about yourself.
1: I'm sure. I, so as, as you've already said, my name's Julianne. I'm a psychologist by training um, and have been doing this kind of work. By this kind of work, I mean working with young people now, oh, gosh, for close to... I think I've almost hit 17 or 18 years. I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. But um, it's definitely definitely what drew me to starts, so I think, Sean, was um, I think I've just got a general passion for working with marginalised young people, young people that have had, you know, lots of um, barriers mm-hmm. that they've had to overcome in their yeah. in their short lives.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I do believe um, that people also, I, I'm quite passionate about the idea that healthcare should be free.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I, I do see um, the interventions that I've provided throughout my career, especially those at start, they, they are, it's a, it's a basic human need. It's mm. mental health care is a very important thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so I'm quite attracted to roles where the clients can access, um, when they need it most, um, mm. without having to fork out ridiculous um, amounts of money, because we know that sometimes that's not possible for the clients we work with. Mm. um, Yeah, and I've always worked with marginalised youth. So prior to working with Starts, and which I've been almost four years now, I can't believe how quick that's gone. Um, (laughs) It's crazy. It's it's flown. But prior to working with Starts, I was working with marginalised and at-risk and homeless young people. Mm. Um, Always have worked in Western and South Western Sydney throughout the times I've been based in Australia Mm. Um, because, you know, culture is also another thing that really um, inspires me to do, I don't know. Uh, there's something about culture that excites me. It, mm. It's um, I find it something to connect with people over. It, it's interesting. You learn mm. a lot about, um, I guess, the way people think and understand the world. And that's, you know, a really lovely part of the work that we do at starts as well, the opportunity to meet people from a range of backgrounds. Mm. So yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty much um, me in a nutshell, really.
0: Mm. And I think before you're also mentioning in relations to um your work in Australia, which mm-hmm. probably alludes to the fact that you also worked and did some some stuff overseas and i
1: oh,
0: um, oh, <laughs> I'd really like know, to hear about that
1: no it was it was a it was a blip in the uh, in the it was a drop in the ocean in terms of my experience it was a year abroad in italy uh-huh. um doing very very unrelated work it was largely in a child care center and i had mm. a particular overview of a young boy who had um autism oh. so it was um yeah it was a good time but mm. no most most you know most of my career has been here in australia yeah um working ironically i was only working with italian little ones in italy but here i've been blessed to work with people from a range of different cultural mm. and linguistic backgrounds so it's mm. been a very rich working um, journey Mm. in that regard
0: do do you think that um it might have been something around your own personal culture your own personal cultural background that that might have drawn you to working with people from uh, the backgrounds in which you work with at the moment um yeah
1: maybe maybe Mm. Sean I, I don't know I actually I I think I I think working working with people from different cultures I think has had a lot more to do with Um, just the general interest that um, comes up for me when I meet people from different places. Like I learned very early on um, the role that culture plays in shaping a person's worldview, Mm -hmm. in shaping the way that they behave, in shaping Mm -hmm. the way that they understand people, understand Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got, you know, it's got implications on so many levels Mm -hmm. um, for the way people live their lives. And I think that understanding then meant that I was so curious about getting to know people from different cultural backgrounds. It may be mm. the fact that I've, you know, I'm a child to migrants mm-hmm. myself, um, and that I'm from a cold background myself. I'm not sure though. I think, I think it's got a lot more to do with um, the impact that I realise culture has on so many different levels of a human. Mm. And, and I think that's probably, yeah, that's probably very true because, you know, there are so many of us with call backgrounds true, um, that absolutely. live in Australia, right? I don't mm. know too many people that are, that are as fascinated with culture. I'm sure yeah. there are, but I don't know anyone in my personal sphere that's true. excited by culture. It's really, for me, it's a pivotal part of um, understanding the person that you're working with, be it, you know, th- therapeutically, clinically, or otherwise. It's really mm-hmm. important. Yeah.
0: And do you think that there's been... Um, like a lot of self-reflection in terms of the way that you conceptualise your, um, how, how you see yourself within an Australian context and how that's also impacted the way that you work with, with clients of similar call backgrounds?
1: Um, I think having a call background myself means that I'm very aware not to make assumptions mm-hmm. in, my, in terms of how it's, how it's come into my work. Um, and the the kind of the um, approach that I take, it's to, you know, I guess when, whenever you have someone um, make assumptions about you, given your, you know, what mm. they think they know about you and your cultural background, yeah. you know, that feeling of being misunderstood is something I would hate to ever be behind mm. or responsible for when working with someone from a different cultural background to myself. Yeah. And so I think those experiences have really shaped um my approach to my work and it's really made me very committed to that idea that we should never assume, we should slow down, take time to understand, take time to ask, take time to be very genuinely curious mm. um, because that, I believe, leads to a deeper understanding of the person opposite you and when working therapeutically, I think ultimately that could contribute to the person having a deeper understanding of themselves. Mm.
0: Yeah.
1: So I think that's probably how it's shaped. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, it's obviously work. given you a lot of tools in, in in working with people from refugee and migrant backgrounds. Um, yeah, so um, your, your role, it starts.
1: Yes, good question. I, <laughs> I am currently um, doing a split role, primarily, well, initially rather. I started it, starts um, in the role of senior child and adolescent counsellor mm-hmm. and I still do that um, in a part-time capacity. And I also have been really lucky to do a lot more training for starts. So I'm, yeah, juggling those two roles.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, at first, it's interesting when I started doing the training role, um, I was I was very much unaware of how much uh, of my therapeutic self would come over into the training space
2: mm-hmm.
1: in that, you know, the skills that you need to be a really good therapist, I think also translate across um, in that mm-hmm. training space as well. At least mm-hmm. I'm finding that. Yes, sure. So, yeah, that's my current role. So mm-hmm. it's great. It's a mixed role. I get to continue working with young people because I don't think I could ever not work with young people. Yeah. Not not at least for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. But then yeah, the training's been a new a new thing and I'm really enjoying it.
0: So it's quite interesting that you know you you maintain that role working with young people and at the same time you're also um, helping with the professional development of others who also might potentially work with young people as well, um, potentially therapeutic or in, um, in classrooms or in TAFE and, and different um, professional
1: areas. I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, honestly, yeah. Sean, on that, I, I think I didn't realise but um, initially but what I've come to since understand through reflection, when I'm sitting in a room with one client,
2: hmm.
1: I'm very much able to um, provide you know, to serve that one client in that space, which is Mm. a real privilege and honour. But what I'm learning is when you're able to kind of plant seeds in terms of ways of thinking or working or connecting with young people in the minds of many other professionals, you're ultimately, your reach is far greater. Mm. And the influence um, that people allow you to have over their practice and over their um, understanding of certain things, um, it's it's a real, it's another real honour and privilege. I, I see both of those roles as roles where I'm serving Mm. others but ultimately yeah with the training i'm serving many many more young people versus the one or two that i you know can sit opposite each week and yeah provide individual training therapy to. so it's really good
0: yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. fantastic um what 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 are some of the roles um uh so what are some of the issues pertinent to um learners with refugee experiences um in Australia, particularly in talking to, you know, some of the experiences of um, the clients you work with or some of the other clients um, that, that starts works with um, in, in general, before we go into the, the, the COVID-19 specific stuff, but what, what are some of the issues that, that, what are some of the pertinent issues that, that you have observed to be, um, you know, the, the most relevant to, to those learners?
1: I think, Sean, with any with any kind of question like this, it's so important to note that it's, it's a spectrum mm-hmm. and we're going to get kids that can yeah. sit anywhere along that spectrum. You know, I think one of the key messages I try and um, send across when I'm running trainings is to never assume.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think making assumptions that the refugee journey has impacted a young person in a particular way simply because they've had that journey. Would, wouldn't really be serving the best needs of any young learner.
2: Absolutely.
1: Um, we've got to really take it as case by case, and face you know, you know, and basically look at what's going on for that individual, and really be curious about that young person. But having said all of that, we also know there are some generalisations or some kind of some repeat patterns that we do see for our young people. Mm-hmm. You know, adjusting to a whole new language. Um, adjusting to routine and structure because a lot of our kids have told us they've been deprived of access to education, Mm -hmm. um, especially in countries of transit and sometimes also in in their countries of origin. Um, You know, the cultural transition. I mean, we Mm -hmm. could do a whole podcast on that by itself, but that's also a big, um, a big thing that we notice in our young people, the intergenerational stuff, you know, Mm mum and dad's needs versus their needs, Mm -hmm. concentration in the classroom, Um, peer, peer stuff, them having to work out their place in the new, in the new world they find themselves in. There are so many, I guess the overarching term, I think based on all the things I've just spoken about, here, are other are the numerous adjustments that they need to make mm-hmm. because change calls for adjustment yeah. and you know, those, they, some kids adjust quickly and some mm. need a lot more time.
2: Mm.
1: So they're the, they're the real you know, the, the nutshell ones. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the interesting things I've seen in my young people mm-hmm. um, are also, um, there's almost this internal, um, this internal battle between, you know, wanting to just slot right into things and not require any extra attention or resources, but then mm-hmm. on, on the other hand, they have genuine needs. Yes. And sometimes it's reconciling that within themselves,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, um, Yeah. That can be that can be, you know, really rich therapeutic work, mm-hmm. helping them reconcile, yeah, those two very opposing spaces that they sometimes sit in. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I mean it's a broad question. Hopefully that's given some initial No,
0: no, no. No, of- no. no, it's great. I'm I'm just interested to hear some of um you know, some of the, the the tools that you might um use in working with young people, particularly around um yeah, uh, around helping um, individuals feel a sense of identity. And, uh, I mean, before you also mentioned around um, helping them articulate, helping them find a voice. Mm. Um, you know, maybe you can talk to that a little bit.
1: Um, yeah, sure. I mean, the, the very first thing that's popped up for me in response to that is the idea that um, working with young people, I think, r- really calls for um, transparency and 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 uh, large doses of authenticity. I think young people are very um, well-equipped to uh, sniff out inauthentic people. And so you've got to basically, to use their language, you've got to keep it real.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: that's, mm. I think that goes a long way. I, I'm very client centered in my approach to, well, I think I'm very client centered in my approach to my work. Mm. Mm. Um, and I think that helps because I find a lot of young people, particularly, um, our young people, the, the young people that we work with who've had refugee journeys, mm. um, you know, that idea of not having a voice or being disempowered, mm. being disconnected. They're two, they're two of the most, I guess, um, long, they, they kind of leave the most impact I feel those, those Mm. kinds of disconnection and the disempowerment. Mm. I work very hard to try and create spaces that reverse that if possible. Mm. So creating empowerment or opportunities Mm. for empowerment rather and um, connection. So the connection Mm. part, I think it's about being genuine, Mm. you know, and and my favorite way of articulating the energy I think we need to bring into the room with young people um, is to be friendly, but not their friend. As a therapist, at least, that's a very important boundary to maintain.
2: Mm.
1: Very warm, but maintaining those professional mm. boundaries can be a juggling act, but it's not impossible.
2: Yeah,
1: um, Being transparent, being authentic, being warm, that's mm. the connection bit. The empowerment bit is, yeah, providing a space that hopefully they can tell I'm largely curious about their thoughts, their needs, mm-hmm. Um, providing safety for them to come up with uh, what those things might be because... Um, you mentioned identity. Mm. I think young people, irrespective of their journey, refugee or not, um, especially adolescents, they're in a space where that identity formation is happening.
0: Yes.
1: And, you know, when you layer in the refugee journey, that can have further implications for that because there's been so much movement and unsettlement Mm. and having a space where a young person feels safe to kind of look within and ask questions like, who am I? Mm. What's important to me? Mm -hmm. Um, you know what do I believe in yeah. that, that to me is really um pivotal in the work that we do
0: yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah. it's because of age and because of their histories
0: mm-hmm. and because um would you say that you you've worked mostly with teenagers or or young or or say children from from primary school age?
1: Across my career, I've definitely mm. worked. I've done the zero to 25. Yeah. Um, I definitely have a bias towards working with teens. Yeah, okay. my absolute favourites. Yeah, sure. Um, so definitely I, I am sneaky and I try and make sure I have more teens on my caseload than not. Uh-huh. Um, it's just such enjoyable work. It's rich. Mm. It keeps you on your toes. I yeah, you, challenge yeah. you. Yeah. I love it. So you,
0: you don't it. mind a bit of banter sometimes amongst, <laughs> amongst young people
1: not at all I, yeah. I i um i encourage them to kind of keep it real with me just as yeah. the, i i know I, I assume they have an expectation that i've got to keep it real with them sure and the same applies to them they they're more than welcome to keep it real with me if they if they you know once they feel comfortable doing so i find it tends to happen
2: mm. um yeah. teenagers
1: are dying to be seen they're begging they 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 they're often yearning to be seen mm. they're often not seen
0: yeah absolutely so you' so you feel that one of your one of your roles is helping them find a voice and empowering them in that process.
1: Absolutely, but yeah. I think I also strongly uh work I work to really create a space where um where they're reflecting too
0: mm yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's a skill that's essential to human mm. um you know existence
0: yeah, absolutely important. yeah, fantastic. And at the moment, given the given the current COVID nineteen crisis, and that you know we haven't been able to see clients you know face to face, and for the most part, you know schools have been have been closed, or um, if they've been open, the you know students have been encouraged not to not to come, of course, to um, to stop the spread of the virus, um, given the current restrictions. Um, but what are some of the ways in which you've supported young people? In, you know during during this process at this particular difficult time
1: yeah that's a really good question sean because the work the work has shifted and again there's not really been a uniform way that the changes unfolded mm. it's been you know client very much about each client but I can um, definitely say for some clients I've found um it's definitely been more about containing crisis
0: mm-hmm yeah.
1: And um so, you know, there have there have been certain needs that have come up for people given the actual COVID context that didn't yep. exist prior. Yep. So it's been there's been a, a bit more case management I have found uh, mm. with some clients, a bit more kind of linking in, sorting out problem solving,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, practical material needs that needed to be kind of addressed. So mm-hmm. there's and, and I know from my work um, particularly with work uh, with young people that were homeless, you know, basic needs are an essential. They need to be sorted out before you can sort out anything, you know, of an emotional nature. Mm. So creating creating those, um, I guess, you know, that hierarchy is essential for our work as therapists. Mm-hmm. So that's been like one example. Another example I'm finding is a lot of the young people that I talk to haven't quite joined the dots as to why they're so triggered at the moment. I've, I've, I can think of one particular client who's particularly triggered right now. Mm-hmm. And um, it hasn't been very clear to her that this context is um, mirroring different parts of her life prior,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is understandable given that she was very little when these things happened. Yes. But nonetheless, we know that you know trauma can be embodied. And the responses can be embodied. Yes. Um, and it's been interesting for her. It's been very much a process over the last, you know, six or seven weeks of joining the dots. Mm-hmm. Things things weren't very obvious to her. Okay. But it's been really rich work. Mm-hmm. It's been helping her process more of the refugee experience,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah. interestingly enough.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and then I've got kids that are in straight-up denial, you know, mm-hmm. probably more to do with their adolescence. It's like, oh, COVID, no, this is going to go away in a few days. Yes. Um, therapy oh no we don't need to talk on the phone i'll just see you in the office when you go back and so it's been a really mixed bag
0: yeah okay yeah which is which is similar as to what you said before about you know we can't generalize you you're going to have those students who you know you're going to have clients whereby there might be you know re-traumatization um but yet there might be others where there's a great deal of resilience and you know um particularly those who have been through some pretty horrible experiences in the past and might be able to draw upon that resilience that they built during that time to be able to withstand that. Maybe you can talk to to that a little bit. Have you seen some real, um, you know, the positive, adaptive behaviours that have come out, you know, that that have come, you know, through some of the clients you've worked with at the moment as well?
1: Um, Look, definitely. I think that there are... Some young people that are sitting in a space of if I could survive what I've been through, then this is, you know, again, it pales in comparison mm. to the experiences I've had before. Yep. Um, most definitely. I, I do find it with my practice that the overwhelming majority of my clients at the moment are are sitting more in that space of being triggered. Mm. Um, I can think of one young boy who um, did share with me that his his routine is, he's shifted his school routine earlier. He's starting school at seven 30 yeah. so that he can be done by mid afternoon, early afternoon and go out for his jog right. because his physical exercise is so important to him. Yeah. And I'm like, you needing anything at the moment? He's like, no, I'm doing really good. Yeah. There are, there are definitely those sorts of presentations that we're seeing. And I'm sure colleagues, other colleagues working with young people are seeing similar things,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but um, no, for me, the balance has definitely set more within that space of, um, there's been some crisis. There's been some triggering, yeah, sure. or some just straight out denial.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, about the magnitude of what's happening, because this is quite—it's quite big.
0: Oh, and of course, it's unprecedented. Pre- yeah,
1: absolutely. It's been—it's mm. been a very, very big learning curve for many, many people. Mm. Um, and and I had an adult, an adult um, person who's experienced refugee um, trauma talk to me about this idea that COVID's been um, more scary, in that mm. you don't know. Where the threat's coming from? Yeah, it's that it's different to the sounds of war or the smell of war. It's um, it's an invisible threat, and that was quite anxiety provoking for them. So mm. it's interesting. Again, we should, like you said, we shouldn't generalise. It's really yeah. important to kind of sit and listen, mm. um, and check in with those individuals about what their needs are.
0: Yeah, one of the things I've also reflected on recently is how, um, you know. PTSD is manifest in its in the feeling of or um, well, often in the feeling of disconnection with others right and how young people and adults can can feel disconnected in that they feel that the greater society or others might not necessarily understand their experience right but one of the things i've at least in you know with, is some with some of the client work that I 've done recently um, is that I've had people report and potentially young people report on how given that this is a situation where everyone is all in this together, it's now one of the first times in Australia that they've actually felt a sense of connection with people that anxiety issues is pervasive amongst almost all of the country and now they feel that people have an understanding of what they're going through, of, all of what they've experienced in the past. Is that something that you, uh, you've also encountered as well?
1: Not personally, but I, I'm not surprised by what you're sharing. Mm. Um, this is the most unique experience I've had in my working history mm. in that the very thing that my clients are having to process, I'm having to process, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. It's a really interesting time therapeutically. Um, it, it, you know, no amount of empathy mm. for a client's journey, of any, any kind of journey, mm. refugee or other, can can actually mimic going through the exact same thing at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's been a very interesting time. And I think for me, the way that I've decided to approach um, this very novel uh, situation is to just be extra transparent because I've already mentioned that for me, transparency is essential in the yes. way that I approach uh, my work and life really. Yeah. But um. I think it's, it's extra important at the moment that I, you know, I am transparent bearing in mind. Transparency doesn't mean sharing to the level that um, the client feels like they're providing me with the support, mm. but, but enough that they understand that um that what they're going through is normal, what they're going through is universal,
2: mm-hmm. that,
1: that I can definitely relate mm. And, and sometimes what it's meant is some of the strategies I've shared yeah. um, are the very strategies I'm doing myself. Yeah, I sure. have never committed to a meditation routine with the rigor that I have at the moment. <laughs> yeah. um, it's become, you know, a twice a day thing for me. And mm. I, I didn't always have the luxury of time. Mm. Um, but now I'm finding, you know, to kind of keep anxiety at bay, mm. that meditation morning and night has been really helpful. And, I, and I'm a firm believer as a therapist to talk the talk you've got to be prepared to walk the walk there's no i don't think it's fair to tell your clients to engage with certain Mm. practices that you're not prepared to do yourself so
2: um
1: yeah so it's been it's been there have been lots of learnings out of this simultaneous um experience of this strange pandemic (laughs) and what it's, it's what it's necessitated
0: yeah no, it's been very unique indeed um i think i I would like to to delve in a little bit more later about um the you know self care and how others might be able to you know um, care care for their own mental health well being particularly professionals but um you know one of the f- before we get to that one of the um key issues at the moment is around um some school counselors um reporting that you know of their own anxiety to meet the needs of um you know, learners from refugee backgrounds in their schools whom are at home due to COVID and potentially around their inability to be able to meet their emotional needs. Um, you know, what, what do you think can be, um, you know, some of their chosen approaches and how would you address, um, you know, that work given that you're already doing it at the moment anyway, what, what advice could you give to them?
1: Um, I think there are two things happening here. So there would be a systemic response that that would be, you know, something that hopefully would happen internally in terms of the school systems, Mm. um, in terms of, you know, um, setting realistic expectations and having plans around how to kind of respond to the needs of their students. Because I would imagine um, that the resources have remained largely the same, but the need has augmented significantly. And so Mm. that can be a challenge for any any service provider. Yes. Um, so hopefully there are conversations happening, you know, on a systemic level to kind of respond to that. But for me, I think it's also, um, you know, as, a, as an individual who provides mental health support to people, mm. it is important that I remember, um, you know, that there are limitations about what I can and can't provide. Mm. I am um, I'm very aware that sometimes as helpers and givers, um, we might set standards for ourselves that are, um, you know, incredibly high and potentially difficult to meet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, continuing to remain realistic about what you are able and unable to provide, Mm -hmm. to remember um, to engage other services, to work, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
1: across services in a very... Collaborative manner, I think, mm. is more than ever essential at the moment. Because, yes. of course, there might be limitations on the types of contact that people within the school system can have with students that don't apply to people in other systems or other organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think remembering to self, like, I mean, I'm, I'm responding to your question with the question that you told me is coming later. It's to self-care. Yeah, sure.
2: you, know, you
1: can't, you can't give, you can't fill from an empty cup. All yeah. the cliches surface when it comes to the self-care chat, yeah. you know, put your oxygen mask on first.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, you've got to really nurture your own self to be able to provide, but I do want to acknowledge the difficulties that school counselors, um, mm-hmm. might be encountering at the moment because, um, you know, I do think that school counsellors have different um, rights and responsibilities versus counsellors that work in other contexts and the limitations do exist in that, you know, calling students might not be appropriate. I'm not I'm not entirely sure mm. what parameters they work within, you know, exactly, but I do have an understanding that they do differ mm. um, to some degree from counsellors that work in NGOs or the health yes. system or private mm. practice.
2: Yeah.
1: So, yeah, it's important to kind of tap into the, resource, the, the support mm. resources they have within their system to yeah. um, hopefully manage that anxiety.
0: And I guess because, um, you know, for ex- for example, ourselves who work in different systems, um, You know, we work in the NGO system, and um, I guess it might be easier for, for us to pivot, right, in terms of how we deliver services. So one of the ways which with pivoted in is towards telehealth and to, to provide counseling via, via zoom and other online technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, have, you know, what have been your observations with such, has it been an easy pivot? Um, in, you know, because I, I would assume that this would have probably been one of the first times that you've predominantly provided, um, therapeutic services, um, in front of a computer I mean at the moment we're speaking in front of a, of a computer yeah you know so what, what have been the challenges there and what have been some of the real positive things as well if, if you can speak to that
1: absolutely look I think one of the um, real key advantages of working with youth is that they're, they're comfortable with technology and so mm. this change um Hasn't been hasn't been super easy for everybody. Um, From that perspective of their preference for that face to face in person, uh, you know, contact was you know is there. But in terms of you know uh, learning how to use a technology, to be honest, Sean, they've taught me a tip or two. Absolutely, Um, learning how to use it, they're amazing. They're so they're so onto it with all of the technological um, Mm. bits and bobs. So that's that's been really, I think, simple. I have had a couple of clients that are were resistant. Mm. But as COVID has kind of, um, you know, dominated for more and more time, I, their, their reluctance to engage with phone or, or computer has been, I guess it's reduced mm. and they have come on board. Um, it's interesting. Yes, you're right. This is the first time I've had to use video conferencing or any kind of um, audio visual. But my very first role when I was an intern psych was providing telephone mental health mm. um, to rural and regional uh, clients. Oh. And I did that for three years. And I wonder, I wonder how much this has helped me also transition so easily into this space. Mm. I learned some really important skills in that role. Mm. Um, it can be very challenging to provide mental health support without the um, visual. Mm. But in a way, I think those three years on the phones helped me hone certain mm. skills that, have, that are very much I find surfacing and helping me at the moment. Um, so the video stuff is a walk in the park relative to the phone stuff that I did all those years ago.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely, I think the summary statement, I, I, one of my young people said to me just this week, um, you know, I really miss sitting opposite, you know, you in the room. And I said, Mm. Oh, me too. Absolutely. And, um, to which he responded, but if I had to choose between no contact with you at all, or seeing you over the computer, then yeah. this is, this is by far the better option. I'm so grateful that we have the internet and I'm so grateful that we can see each other. Yeah, well. So it's really, uh, it's interesting. I think when we've, when we're faced with um, no other choice, it's funny how I think we can just kind of scoop it up and run with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. clients definitely do report that it, it is of, of great benefit to them.
1: Oh, I've had, there are two particular clients that come to mind. Um, that have been very vocal about their gratefulness of, mm. of this this chance to see each other and to continue yeah. our work together. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Not all clients are as vocal, but um, I guess when they show up, that's that's telling us something, right?
0: <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a, it says a lot. And um, you know, what, what what's interesting is that often teachers um, and you know, we work a lot with teachers, particularly um, you in know, interface with schools, um, not just in consultation and and um and um you know mentoring, but you know particularly you know with with um psychological issues with the young people that they work with, but one of the one of the great um the things that inspires me about teachers is their ability to be able to to pivot and to change the way that they they interface with with learners given the given the given the situation and you know having to you know provide online support to to learners in this time, whilst, whilst located in schools, for me, it's been quite inspiring. And, you know, you know, on a personal level, um, I recall, you know, a few weeks ago, um, having to go to my son's school to pick up his education materials. And, um, you know, I went to pick them up and I I, I had a, a peek into his classroom and, um, I saw his teacher with just two two children there, and obviously um, you know the, the you know the the, the parents of, of the the young people didn't have any other options and so they were going to school and I remember feeling so emotional at that time about the commitments that you know the, the, the teachers had at that time having to provide face to face and then also providing online support um how do you think? Um, how do you think we can support teachers um, better in this time where there's a great deal of anxiety amongst the teaching faculty? And one of the roles in which we, um, you know, one of the services that we provide at Starts and you've been involved in this is around providing um, um, you know, clinical support um, and a, 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 an opportunity for debrief to teachers whom have been vicariously impacted by survivors of, of torture and trauma. um, But also in trying to um, support their own anxiety in, in having to deal with many competing issues in sometimes quite challenging systems. So maybe you can talk to that and, and also um, within the lens of the current crisis at the moment, which is another stressor to an overall very, um, very taxing role.
1: Um, I, Sean, sure, I agree. I think the teachers at the moment are doing the most amazing jobs. Um, I, I think very early on in my career, I realised that two of the professions that are the most uh, instrumental to society are teachers and nurses.
2: Mm.
1: And it, it couldn't ring any more true at the moment, um, given the health crisis, but then also, um The way that the school system has kind of been turned upside down, mm. given you know the need for social distancing and other things.
2: Yeah.
1: so I do take my hat off to any teacher listening at the moment. Um, I think we really do need to um, let them know wherever possible how much we appreciate uh, their efforts. Mm. Um, you know, and that can be in a professional capacity that can be in a like as a parent who's you know sending them an email. Um you know when liaising about some kind of school work if if that's what parents are doing at the moment mm. i'd imagine it's different depending on different schools and different individuals but any anywhere that we can say to them you know that we are grateful for their efforts that we acknowledge what they're doing, and that we understand it's a very difficult and trying time. I mm. think that's essential um It might sound small, but I think that could really go a long way in helping a person um, remain uh connected to their mm. role and to continue giving at a time where I'd imagine they're being asked to give a lot.
2: Hmm. Um,
1: I think teachers are always asked to give a lot. I think now they're being asked to give a lot more than a lot. Hmm. So, um, but look, I think ultimately, um, again, we're in this together that that's can also be a very, hopefully a very helpful thing for teachers to hang on to as well, that we're all, that we're all working towards a common goal. That's to keep young people safe, young people hmm. engaged, young people learning, hmm. um, it's it's a it's it's a challenging time, and I don't think there's ever been a more important time for collaboration.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely.
1: So I would see that as a collaboration between you know parents, teachers, and services that work with young people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ultimately, I'm not sure if that if that's kind of answering. No, um, no that,
0: that's that's fine. That's fine. It's it's. Yeah. But I
1: I do take my hat off to teachers. I do acknowledge it's been a ridiculous mm. time for them. Mm. They had to respond almost at the drop of a hat overnight, mm. and create resources and strategies and responses to something that they they normally would have needed months to do and it was done in a matter yeah. of days
2: yeah
1: um and you know when it comes to our client group our particular client group um there are particular challenges that they've had to kind of you know to try and circumvent and that's not been easy mm. so again a big hat off to all the teachers that are trying mm. to support um all young people but especially refugee young people
0: mm. and what um you know, what advice might you give to teachers in supporting young people from um, refugee backgrounds at this particular time?
1: Um, I think it's really important that, um, and and I I would assume that maybe a lot of this has been done already, but Mm. just to reinforce that idea that um, a lot of our clients don't have access to all the things that they might need or may not have all the access to the things that may need. So checking in, making sure... Um, i I'm, I'm pinching an idea from a particular school that I have contact with. This is not my genius, but they've they're using um, staff on on site that have particular language skills to check in with families so it's just making a very brief uh, welfare call mm. to, with a, you know with a very boundary agenda mm. to make sure that families are okay you know there's something very nice about receiving a call from someone who speaks your language to Mm -hmm. say how's everything going are the kids are the kids on track Mm -hmm. you know and i do appreciate not all schools have that resource, that time Mm -hmm. i know it's an extra busy time but um you know there have been responses that schools have come up with that i think are marvelous Mm. um that are really showing you know yes of course the educational needs of the kids are absolutely paramount but i think the welfare needs at the moment are just as important yes so engaging either their internal resources or engaging uh, services within the communities that they work with mm-hmm. to um, ensure that children's welfare is still maintained, you know, it's on the radar. Yes. Um, because it's, you know, we know that there are particular um, issues that come along with being um, in a home context nonstop for weeks or weeks on end with little mm. room for um, going outside.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah and And this is all done when they're trying to manage their own psych you know psychological wellbeing um Absolutely. and and you know we, we've we've alluded to this before, but you know it's a time of you know great anxiety across all of Australia and across all the world and yeah. you know what you know how do you how do you think that um that teachers and other wellbeing staff might be able to um support themselves? During this time, um, given that in, in order to work with young people better, well, they need to be they need to be in a good space themselves. So what self-care strategies might you, um, you know, might you suggest to to, um, to to teachers and to welfare staff at the moment?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really um, important question. And, and the response is is going to be a standard Julianne response of, of it's going to depend on the individual. Yes. I think I think self-care looks differently depending on who's mm. um, engaging in it. Yeah. Um, what I encourage people to do is to A, acknowledge that they do need to self-care mm. and B, reflect on ways that they top their cup up. And so, like I said, you know, for one person that could be running a marathon. Yep. Or, or, you know, running for hours on the weekend or each morning. Mm. For another person, it might be knitting. Mm. For another person, again, it might be cooking. For another person, again, it might be listening to some music. You know, there are so many um, varied ways that people can top up their own cup. But I think if we don't create space for it in our our kind of day-to-day routine, Mm. then that's probably where we're going to see that it's not going to happen. So uh, for me, it's less it's less about how it's more about why Mm -hmm. and when like locking in a time in a person's daily schedule is really, they're the two big ones. Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, you've got to connect with the reason why you're doing it. What, what do you notice when you don't, what do Mm. you notice when you do,
2: Mm.
1: um, that might help people connect with those routines.
2: Yeah.
1: And then of course, when like lock it in, like it's Mm. got to be factored into your day or your week. Mm. Um, but, yeah, what it looks like, it really depends on the individual.
0: And, and this, is, this is obviously a, a, a personal responsibility and also an organisational responsibility as well. So for schools, um, you know, as a system to be able to provide teachers and other staff with a space um, in order to invest in themselves so they can give more to young people, which is essential. So-
1: yeah. Absolutely, Sean. I do think it is about culture, mm-hmm. creating a culture in a system where that's seen as important and valued mm-hmm. and encouraged. Absolutely. um. But I also do think, you know, we ultimately it is a person. Uh, for me, I think that organisational responsibility is definitely present
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's it's essential that, that um, systems understand and, and promote and foster this culture mm-hmm. of self-care. But an indiv- on an individual level, I mean, you've got to be, I think as I think as givers, we're so very well um, equipped and comfortable of providing care and nurturing to others, mm. um, but we're we're not so amazing at giving it to ourselves. And I think there needs to be work done
2: yeah. within
1: oneself mm. to get to a space where you truly understand mm. you are important too.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And I think there's there's also an ethical dimension as well, particularly if we if we know that um, if we ourselves are not well, right, and if we know that that could potentially have an impact on our ability to provide services to others, well, then there should be a necessity, a, a personal necessity, in order to invest a lot more so that we can do a better job for others. I would agree. Yeah. Strongly. mm. Anyway, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you today, Julianne. And um, look after yourself.
1: Thank you so much, Sean, for the opportunity to chat. I've also enjoyed the chat. It was um, it was good to connect. We haven't seen yeah. each other in a little bit. I know. <laughs> it's good to connect again.
0: Yeah we, yeah, we haven't seen each other in a few months, so it's you know, so it's good to have a bit of a chat. So
1: Absolutely. Thanks again. And um, to anyone listening, I really hope that you're able to get through this period um, in a way that uh, allows you to take really good care of yourself um, so that you can continue giving to the young people that you serve on a daily basis. Thank you so much for all your hard work.